0: Be seated and thanks for being here this morning. Love that last song because it teases up what we're talking about this morning. Love that never fails. You know, when you think about the judgment of God, that is a term, a vision that causes us to tremble, the judgment of God. The 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 future vision of coming before the throne And giving an account of our lives is enough to keep even the most godly of us awake at night. But what John wants us to know this morning is we don't have to live in fear of the future. We don't have to live in fear of that coming judgment. And the way we can tell that we are in Christ is if we are loving each other well. And for for the person that doesn't love, then that day will seem fearsome, it will be troubling, it will cause anxiety and fear. But for one who is loving, one who is abiding in Christ, that day will be welcome and will be full of anticipated joy. And so this morning, John is saying, for authentic Christians, the key is love. Because love brings joy, love brings peace, And perfect love casts out fear. And I want you to live lives that are not based in fear, but are based in your love for Jesus and your love for each other. So let's take our Bibles and let's dig into this text, because it's an amazing text. It's a well-known text, and we're going to dredge out the meaning of it. 1 John 4, beginning in verse 18. This is page 1023, if you want to grab that pew Bible in front of you. 1 John 4, beginning in verse 18. So, I'm looking forward to this series in August about community because we are going to take a look at the early church in Acts 2 42 through 47. And we're going to spend just a few weeks talking about what it means to live in Christian community. And then for the fall, we're going to jump into the life of Joseph, which is an amazing character building exercise about who God is, what he's doing for us. And we see Jesus in the shadows all over the place in the Joseph story. But The basis for community is love. And so when we talk about community, love will always be the undergirding factor. And here John is telling us that if you want to live in peace, if we want to live to the fullest without fear of the future, then love. And so let's read the text together, 18 through 21. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. also love his brother. That's powerful words. And I was telling Wendy last night, I'm not qualified to be preaching this passage because I am so convicted by this. And this is difficult stuff. But John is trying to free us. And he's calling us back, remember, to orthodoxy. He's calling us back to authentic and real Christianity. And it's amazing in this book that he doesn't steer us toward all of the do. The do list that we always have as Christians. He does steer us toward proper doctrine. But undergirding it all is love. He wants us to love. And if you look here with me just at the couple of verses preceding this passage, verses 16 and 17, we can clearly see the context. We have come to know and believe the love which God has for us. God is love. The one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are in this world. The context is that we don't need to fear what's happening next. And we must understand here as we start to, to get into this passage that we're not talking about the great white throne judgment we're talking about something called the believers judgment remember who's John writing to he's writing to the churches in asia he's writing to followers of jesus christ and so what he's doing is he's saying listen you are going to stand before jesus and when you do i want you to have joy not fear the word bima that we so often use for this judgment seat, bima, is a Greek term that comes from this activity in Greece where there was a tall platform and an order standing on the platform, and so Paul's envisioning this high place where Jesus would be giving us an account of our lives. And for those that aren't abiding in Christ, that's a scary thought. For those that are, I can't wait to get there. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians, and we see this We're talking about with rewards here. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So this is for believers, because everyone here is saved. But what's at stake is eternal rewards, and that's a big deal. And we don't talk about it enough in church, because I think we think it's selfish to want rewards. But that's what we're talking about here when we talk about judgment. The great white throne judgment that lies out there in the future in Revelation 20, we see that as the time when all those who don't follow Jesus will suffer this terrible fate and be cast into eternal torment. But for us, it's Jesus. That's exciting. I've got to get Wendy to get me some water bottles that don't make noise. Does that bother you at all? This is what my kids do all the time at home. When they do that bottle flip. Do you have kids at home that do the bottle flip? It's enough to drive you insane. All right. So the Holy Spirit's helping me get back on track now. All right, here's, here's the presenting problem in this text. And we just talked about it, but here's where we start. The presenting problem is fear of judgment. Take a look at verse 18 again. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So it's very interesting terminology here, because there's this idea that if we are not abiding in Christ, and if we are not loving well, and we aren't really tuned in, that we are going to dread this day. That we are going to actually live under the torment of it. The words, fear has to do with punishment, is literally in the Greek... Fear has punishment. Fear carries with it its own kind of torment and punishment. The Greek word here for fear is phobos, from which we get the English word phobia. And in this context, it is dread and terror. And so fear is bondage. Fear is its own kind of horror. And so fear and love can't go together because if we are loving well, we will not have this fear. And we will escape the inner torment that this brings. Now if you remember back at all, those of you who are very astute and are always taking notes and know every word I've ever said, remember back to chapter 3 verse 20. So I know you aren't remembering, so I'll tell you. We talked about a condemning heart. And we talked about how John does not want us to be living with a condemning heart because he wants us to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And John is big on experience. He's, he's, he's experiential. He wants us to abide with Jesus. And so here's, here's how it works out. We think of it as a circle. We start here. We come into relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we receive the love of jesus christ because then we have received the love of christ we can extend the love of jesus christ to others when we extend that love we understand that that love comes from christ and we know that we are abiding in christ we are being transformed by christ and therefore we can look forward to seeing jesus without fear perfect love casts out fear but when it comes to judgment, and when it comes to dealing with the fact that we are sinful, and we do have pasts, and we do have sin in the present, that can be a very, very, very difficult thing. Fear cripples the believer. Because there is judgment coming. We, we will stand before Christ. And Jesus will welcome us to the kingdom. But obviously there's going to be some kind of an accounting for our lives. And here's what many of us think. There's two areas I think we struggle with. The first is understanding forgiveness. The second is understanding love. And they go together. But we think sometimes that I am afraid to see Jesus because there's no way that he could forgive me for my stuff. And I know, I, I believe all the theology. I get it. Jesus is the Redeemer. He forgives, but you don't know me. You don't know what's in here. And so we live in fear because when we see Christ, what is he going to say? What is he going to do? How, what if he says, you know what, it's, it's just too much? And then we live in fear of that passage. You know, in Scripture, you never knew me. But if you're a believer in Christ, that's not for you. But we have this fear that the past is finally going to catch up with us. And and those of you who who have passed before you met Christ, that fear is prevalent in your lives, isn't it? Someday everyone's going to find out. And so, can Jesus still forgive me? And in my life, I'm in a journey of looking back at all my stuff and always... On this journey of inviting Jesus into this garbage, into this stuff, and letting him explore it with me and forgive me for it, and then show his forgiveness to me. So, I don't have to live in fear, because I already know I'm forgiven, and I already know that Jesus has seen it all. The second thing that I think we struggle with is the idea that he can still love me even though I sin. And here are the lies of Satan that we hear so often. You are not getting any better. You don't deserve to be a Christian. You have wasted your life. You are unlovable. And sometimes those lies seep pretty deep into the heart and pretty deep into the soul. What John is saying here is no. You, you can be transformed. And when you love people, that is evidence that you have been transformed. That is evidence that you are abiding in Christ. You don't have to live in fear. Perfect love, when we love people out of the perfect love that Christ gives us, it casts out fear. So the big problem here, and, and John knew these believers were struggling with it, is fear of judgment. So here's the prescription. And it's quite simple. It's quite simple. And it's, and, 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 but it's stunning. The prescription for crippling fear is perfect love. It's not learning more. It's not getting involved with more volunteer efforts. It's love. And here's the main point. If you look at 18, this, these are the words. Perfect love casts out fear. When we are at peace In God's love, we have no fear. And that brings joy to our lives. Here's the problem. We try to go find that joy in other places all of the time. And John knew this. And so, what do we do in our culture? Well, we take pills. The the opioid epidemic is, is beyond belief in America today. Because it numbs us from fear, from uncertainty. We binge watch on television shows. Because now you can. What does that do? It helps us to tune out. It helps us to get numb. Not bad necessarily, but it numbs our pain. And there's a million other things we do. Here's what John's saying. Why don't you try something else? Why don't you try love? Whoa, there's an idea. We don't think of that because we think of love as being this sort of one-way street. You know, I'm going to love this person. I'm going to get worn out. I'm going to get drained No, what John is saying, if you love well, you're going to get filled up. You're going to be able to walk in joy. You're going to be able to look at the future and say, I can't wait to see Christ because that love that I have for others comes from Him. So the prescription to this fear is loving better. When we know Christ, we can love. And so already you can feel that confrontation happening in your heart and your souls because... We're already being confronted in this text by, are we abiding in Christ? Even if we're believers, sometimes you cannot abide in Christ. And does that abiding lead to outward love for others? John wants us to love because that fear of judgment can be incredible. Now, you're also, you also might be thinking, you know what? This is beyond my grasp. I, I really can't do this. Well, join the club. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not always very good at loving. Just ask Wendy. Ask the kids when they're doing the bottle flips. Ask them how I'm doing at loving. But I want to encourage you this morning that you don't have to be good at this. You're actually not the one who empowers this. And so here's here's what John tells us. Perfect love is a gift. It's an empowering gift. Gift. The power doesn't come from within us. Look at verse 19. We love because he first loved us. We didn't start it, he did. And so we're feeding off that power of being attached to the vine, as John would write in his gospel. And what we're seeing here is that this is a gift, and our love for others is a response to that gift. And here's the truth. If you're not loving others, if you're bitter, if you're angry, if you have relationships that aren't tied up, then you've got to really question whether you're attached to the vine. Because one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is that we will love well. John is obviously talking about that here. And what we need to do is, if we want an example, we look at the cross, which is the pinnacle of love. When the Father sent His Son into the world to die for our sin. That's why this morning we're singing about Jesus. That's why we're singing about the love of God in Christ. And so, when we look at that, we say, okay, how am I to love? What happened here? It was sacrificial love. God sent His Son into the world, and He paid with His life. And so, we need to receive that love so we can love others. But again, if we're... If we're caught in shame and and we're angry or bitter, we cannot receive that love. And the gift of salvation is beautiful because not only does it save us eternally at a moment, but it transforms our lives into something that we never thought our lives could be. But one of the key tools that Satan uses to get in the way is bitterness and anger and relational strife. He can kill anything with that if we let him. And so this morning, as I was walking to church and just praying, I was just begging God to put up defenses around our church so that we can love each other well and not be distracted. Not let Satan get a foothold like this. Excuse me, I'm going to drink something now. Is that bothering you? Wendy, does that bother you? She's looking at me like I can't wait to get in the car so I can chastise Paul. We need to accept this gift and then we need to act on it. So I ask you this morning, have you accepted the gift of salvation? And if you have, have you accepted the gift of Christ working in your life to change you and make you into something new and love others well? If you haven't, then this kind of peace, this kind of joy is going to elude you. And let me just assure you that if you're willing to open yourself up to what God is going to do with you, if you're willing to allow Jesus to step into your, as one man put it this morning, your dirty closet to look around, I want you to know that you're safe in the arms of Christ. You don't have to be afraid of that. There is no fear in meeting Christ. The love of Christ is amazing. You know, if you have been saved, right now you're wearing a robe of righteousness. It's not your righteousness, it's the righteousness of Christ. And so when we understand these things, then we can look at judgment without fear. Because there's no punishment, if you understand what I'm saying. So the the problem is judgment, the prescription is love. And then we see here that love looks like this. Love looks like loving each other. Love that casts out fear is to love our Christian brothers and sisters. We're talking specifically here about love toward each other. Sure, we need to love the people around us. We need to love our neighbors. We need to love non-believers to Christ. No doubt about that. But the context here is to love each other well within the church. 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So John gets right to the point here. Anyone who claims to love God and hates his brother, that's a false claim. That's a lie. And John uses this term a lot for any kind of false claim. John just says lying, liar. And so we can fall into deep deceit, thinking that we can carry around grudges, carry around anger or bitterness, and somehow say, I love God and I want to follow God, and I'm attached to Christ. John is saying, no, you can't do that. He's saying, how can you love God whom you've never seen when you can't even love your brother and sister that you see all of the time? And there's no wiggle room. He's not saying, if you feel like it, if you want to, you know, if you want to today, if, if, it, if it fits you. No, we need to love. Not only because it, it eases our fear of judgment, but because Satan uses relational strife to kill our spiritual lives and to kill churches. And we can't let that happen. And even now, if you're tuned in at all, regardless of how I'm presenting, the text itself has to get you thinking. And you may be feeling that tug on your heart, that familiar voice of the Holy Spirit. And there may be names bubbling up to you right now. You may be thinking of someone that you know, you just know that you're not on side with. And you know that you have to either release your anger, or you need to go to that person, if possible, and make it right. Sometimes you can't go to the person. Sometimes the person is deceased. Sometimes the person doesn't live in your area. Sometimes it wouldn't be appropriate to go to that person. So then you have to pray that it can be released. But if you can make it right, John is telling us to make it right. Because that's what it means to love each other well. It also means that we live in community together. It means that we can't call ourselves Christians if we're isolated. And it's really hard in Minnetonka, Chanhassen, Chaska, when we have families and we have a lot of money compared to the rest of the world and we have time and we can pretty much do and go wherever we please We sometimes choose to be isolated over community. That's not loving well either. Here's what most people don't think about when they think about church and small groups. We're talking a lot about small groups. People are going, I don't want to be in a small group. Why not? I just don't need that. Well, have you ever thought that people might need you? And I get tired of begging people to come to church. People need to understand. When they come to church, when they involve themselves in Christian community, they're giving something to others. It's not just about taking all of the time. That's how you love each other well. If, if you're not willing to be in community, if you want to isolate yourself and just live for you, then I think John's point here is, should be taken. Are you attached to the vine? I think I might have mentioned this before. This woman I knew in when I was uh, I was the singles pastor at a church in Tucson, and um, this woman was going. There was this church right downtown called First Baptist. And it was this beautiful old building. There were like 30 people rattling around in there. And there are all kinds of churches around town just circling to buy this place, you know, and to, to to regenerate it. But this congregation hung on. And we had this woman coming to our small group. And I asked her one day, why, why do you go to that church? There's no one even your age there. And she goes... Because they need one person to oversee their children's ministry, and that's I'm going to go there and serve. That's where God's called me to serve. Wow. That's not like the consumer mentality that we've been living under here in our culture. And so this commitment to each other involves living in community. It involves keeping our relationships right. It involves being willing to sacrifice ourselves for each other. And then we can know that we are attached to Christ, and we can look forward to the day we see him with joy. Here's how it all fits together. I'll put it right here. Jesus has gifted us with love. That's the starting point. This love is empowered by transformation. So as we are becoming more like Christ, we are loving more. One of the outgrowths of our salvation is love. When we love each other, we know we are abiding in Christ. The evidence of our relationship with Jesus is love. Abiding in Christ, then, erases fear of coming judgment. And thus, perfect love casts out fear. And so, all of these elements are really important. But the bottom line is, abiding in Christ erases fear of coming judgment. And so, as John is calling us to authentic Christianity and he's calling us back to orthodoxy, he's calling us to love the way God intended the church to love and I will tell you this right now that if there are relationships in your life that you know that you could help make better, and you just refuse to do that, or if you're in a turf war with somebody, then you better take this text seriously i. You know, I don't care who's saying it. This is the inspired Word of God. And I need to take it seriously. And believe me, when I'm studying this, I'm going like, oh, man. Like, oh. I mean, my heart's just getting pummeled. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you a chance to think this over and pray a little bit. So put all your stuff away. Let's do some silent prayer. And what I want you to do is just close your eyes. And I'm just going to walk you through a prayer time. So don't, you know, just let me help you, guide you for a couple of minutes here. Close your eyes. And based on what you've just heard, based on what you've just read, I want you to first ask God to open your heart to these concepts, to open your heart to what it means to love. So just pray that prayer just for a, couple, just for a minute. Just ask God to open your heart. And then ask God to bring to the surface any names, any situations, any attitudes or behavior that are unloving to your mind now, though it may be uncomfortable. And then take those names or situations and give them to God. Repent if necessary and ask God for wisdom regarding how to move forward. Okay, so look at me now. So here's the thing. If you've got people in front of you and relationships need to be restored, sometimes it's as simple as going to somebody and saying, listen, can we grab a coffee? I just feel like there's something off, and I probably maybe have done something wrong. Can we just just talk about it for a little bit? I'd like to make sure that we're right with each other. Sometimes if it's a person that's not accessible, just a snail mail letter, just saying, you know what, I've been thinking about you, praying for you, please let me know if we're okay because I feel like there's something wrong or I know I did this and it's been sitting here for years. Sometimes if that person isn't accessible, then it's a time to pray in your own life that you can just release that anger and bitterness so that the love of Christ can flow through you. And I look forward to today, the day that Ridgewood Church is rocketing forward, propelled by love, an unstoppable force. That we will be getting people saved. God will be using us to transform lives because our love is so intense that it will be like a magnet to the world. Let's pray. God, we just pray for this kind of love. And we know from this text that it comes from you. We know that perfect love casts out fear. And we are afraid of the future. We we, we do experience dread of, of coming events, the the dread of death and so forth. But God, help us to be free of that by simply learning how to abide in you and love like you. Thank you and praise you for sending your son Jesus into the world. Thank you for the pinnacle of love, which is the cross. And as we sing together now, I pray that we would worship in truth, knowing that we are part of this grand plan and knowing that our love can make a difference. And we pray this in your name. Amen.